voyages of the starship Therapize. Its continuing mission, to explore strange inner worlds, to seek out new insights and new realizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. said you wanted to take first prize in Starfleet's annual trivia contest this year. I do. Well then. Well then what? We already know things. That's very true, sir. And while it is completely impossible for us as mere mortals to know all things, we can know more things than we currently do. And you know, Janeway will have her crew running flashcards on their off hours. Ugh. All right. Let's keep studying. Splendid. All right, Captain, now for the lightning round. Who is the most decorated captain in all of Starfleet? Nope, that's easy. It's me. See, I told you we didn't have to study anymore. Actually, sir, there's room for debate on this one. Uh, I beg your pardon? Well, some people think that Captain Sisko- He never even made it to Admiral. Hmm, neither have you, sir. (gasps) What did you just say? And there is the matter of one, Jean. No, absolutely not. Spock, it's bad enough that I've been studying with you for 45 minutes for this trivia contest that you know will win in a landslide. But I will not, on my own bridge, hear you say the name of that, that captain in reverent tones. You mean Captain Picard, sir? Or Admiral Picard, as he... (gasps) Spock! What did I just say? I'm sorry, sir. And on my own bridge. I'm sorry, you're just doing such a good job. (laughs) 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 Okay. Shall we start the show? I can't even look at you right now, but fine. I'm Justine Mastin, LMFT, Yogini, writer, researcher, and captain of this particular ship, and the most decorated captain Starfleet has ever known. Welcome aboard. And I am Larissa Garski, licensed marriage and family therapist, writer, researcher, Spocking first officer, and I'm sorry. Hmm. Just a reminder to the listeners at home that just because we are therapists does not mean that we are your therapists. Unless, of course, we are your therapists. This podcast is for the purposes of education and humor and is not intended to replace seeing your own therapist. So I suppose all of this uh, Picarding is coming from the new show. Picard. Yes. Though I imagine it being read aloud as Picard. <laughs> Just a slight, a slight British (laughs) high, flat A? I don't know. I I don't understand linguistics or um, what am I thinking of here? Phonetics. Yeah, yeah, I had to study that. Um, that, When I see Picard, it makes me feel like it should have an exclamation point. Like um, Like Oliver. (laughs) Yeah, like Oliver. uh, In my hometown, this guy wrote a musical about Sherlock Holmes. And it was oh. called Holmes, with an exclamation point. <laughs> and any time we talked about it, we'd be like, are you going to Holmes? Oh. Yeah, I'm going to Holmes. <laughs> that reminds me of the time I saw the film Mother 
um, with our producer. <laughs> it was a terrible picture. Apologies to those of you um, amongst our listenership who really enjoyed it. Um, I am here to hold space for you if you loved uh, one mother. Um, <laughs> does it have an exclamation point? It does. Oh. And it's written in italics, which is why I like I bring my voice up an octave because I'm really trying to like hit home that it's intense. <laughs> Mother, tell your children not to walk my way. It's Danzig. And people say that we don't sing enough on this show. <laughs> That's a lie. No one has ever said that about this show. No, although... Um, <laughs> Listeners at home, if you don't follow me on uh, Instagram, I posted an ancient headshot and resume of mine recently. And uh, someone commented and said, how can we hear you sing? And I was like, listen to the podcast. I sing all the time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes as you. I don't know. Sometimes as Ethel yeah. Merman. Yeah, often as Ethel. Mm. Um, but anywho... Hi, first-time listeners who tuned in just because you saw Star Trek. <laughs> Welcome. Um, this is the Starship Therapies. Uh, it, it's <laughs> mostly the original Star Trek influenced um, in our our fanfic that we're doing here. But you know, we are you know we love we love all the Star Treks, with the exception of the one that they did where it was like supposed to be the launching of the first Enterprise and Captain Archer, he had a hound dog, Scott Bakula, that's who I'm thinking of. Do you remember that? <laughs> Do you even no. no. Did you even know that Scott Bakula was in a Star Trek show? I, I did. He he was in Star okay. Trek Enterprise, right? Yeah, that's that's someone. Yeah. My brain sort of forgets uh, the title because I was not a fan. I keep up with the Bakula man. <laughs> well we all have our favorite captains <laughs> um but i but i am interested spock uh mm -hmm. you seem to speak with a lot of reverence about jean-luc picard Ooh, and nice yeah oh <laughs> please i i am a tng lover from way back mm -hmm. um although i have not done a rewatch in quite a long time and it's it's been a little bit of a problem with one of my clients who keeps referencing it. And I'm like, I will rewatch it. I will rewatch it. Maybe we should do this I, together. Because I just started season one. I think oh. I think it was last week. Last week I was feeling really down. I'm sure it was because of the pandemic. Um, and I took, it was like what we had our, we ended with like advice ways that listeners could take care of themselves. And one of the big ones was like returning to fandoms that you found comforting engaging with your fandom relationships of your and really like there's there are a few fandoms that i find more comforting or not even more as comforting as mm -hmm. tng they're such a yeah. loving family mm -hmm. with papa yeah. jean-luc just terrible with children but <laughs> in charge of a ship full of them um <laughs> before we jump in to anything mm. you brought up children and i just have to say i loved that jean-luc enjoyed children in picard or one child that sparked joy for me and are we are we referring to elnor we are referring to elnor yes i i 
I think you're right. I think he was like better with with that with this child. <laughs> um, probably better than he's ever been depicted. Like going back through my memory banks, and I think that's true because really he only like starts to really hit it off with Wesley when Wesley's like left a lot of his like childhood you know stuff behind and is mm-hmm. more properly a teenager. Though even then, Wesley finds ways to disappoint his surrogate father. <laughs> Sad. I think I think I think Wesley had it had it rough. Yeah. Um, but I am I'm curious. Um, what, what has you so enamored of one Jean-Luc Picard? Um, I think for me, like, frankly, for many of us, he was very much like the idealized father figure, which is Mm. interesting to say now as an adult, because I'm very much being with the reality that he was, he's depicted as being terrible with children. Right. (laughs) But I don't, when I, when I go back in my memory banks to the experience of watching the show when I was young, I don't remember that Mm -hmm. about him. Yeah. I do remember that about him. Sure. Well, um, you were you were you were older than I was when you started watching. Like I think I was probably like five, maybe when I started watching. <laughs> young enough, <laughs> young enough that I remember. I was I was very confused, and I had to sit my human mother down, and I was like, "Listen, why is why does Jody wear his visor at night?" But not during the day, because I was also a fan of reading Rainbow. Oh, sure. And at that point, like, I was was too young to know the difference really between, like, actors versus their roles. Like, LeVar Burton Mm -hmm. was just Geordie to me. Um, Right. And so, like, I think I think my mother had to come up with some, like, explanation as to why he didn't. Oh, but she didn't break the illusion for you? Um, I mean, she, I think she tried to be honest about it. Mm-hmm. In the sense that this was an actor named LeVar Burton. Um, but in this instance, unlike my experience with Santa Claus, I was just like, <laughs> no, that's absurd. <laughs> I, I love that. You're like, oh, S- Santa? Okay, I get that. No, that's Jordy. That's Jordy. I was like, I can see him. I can see his face and hear his voice. Of course, Santa's not real. I've never seen evidence, living proof of him. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's such a sparkling thing to do. Actually, in retrospect, that's very true. <laughs> <laughs> like I've seen no evidence to indicate that there is a Santa Claus. Um, and uh, all right, uh, accept it. Accept not it. real. <laughs> Lavar Burton, not not real. Not real. Jordy, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um. <clears throat> As much as I was uh, playing up my my bravado at the beginning there, mm-hmm. um, I am also a fan of Jean-Luc. Um, although I was very confused, as many people are, mm-hmm. about why he had a French name, but he was English. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. I mean, that bothered me. Like, I wasn't such a young person, because I watched it as it was airing. Right. Um. But I was younger, and I was like, "Why is he? Why does he have a French name? But he's British." And then I, I was like, "This is I just what if... French people sound like." <laughs> <laughs> and and maybe my parents said something, and they were mm. like, "You know, people can have all kinds of names." Because the thing is, I have a French name. Oh, that's Justine. true. Mm-hmm. Justine is a French name. It is um, Justine. And sometimes my mother would say it in its proper Frenchness, and I just uh, 
could not dislike that anymore. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a hard Just... no. <laughs> Justine. Oué, la bibliothèque. <laughs> à la droite. <laughs> oui, ce n'est pas gauche. <laughs> yes. Great. <laughs> yeah, but I did. I I loved Picard, um, and I loved Riker. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I was responding to with Riker. Like, I was was it romantic slash sexual? Mm. Was it like I wish that guy was like family? I don't know. I really responded to him though. I didn't have this understanding as a child but certainly looking like watching it and seeing him now as like a, a parental because he's he's a parent in picard oh oh god oh broke my heart and such a good one too um yeah good dad he is but there's something about ooh, it's that he's charismatic yes and i'm i was very used to as a child though i certainly could never have put language to it back then i can put language to it now which is that like i'm used to charismatic people being kind of not great you know i'm used mm. to that being a trait of that's like a, a real red flag that someone is a narcissist oh sure um and honestly i think i when i say narcissist i mean both in kind of like the colloquial language like somebody who's self-absorbed and it's also you know one of the red flags that someone may have have some sort of like personality disordered features if you're a long-time listener of the pod, you know that, like, neither the captain nor I appreciate that language. Mm -hmm. But it is the language the DSM-5 has given us. <laughs> so, personality disordered it is. Here's mm. to you, APA. Not APA, it's the... Oh, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah it's the APA. It is, it's the APA. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, it's how little we like the DSM. Yes. Don't even pay attention to where it came from. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I like I like that language around charisma because that that puts it, it it like nutshells what I was trying to say, which is like I don't know what it was about Riker that was drawing me to him. Like, is it this? Is it that? Like, no, it's it's charisma. <laughs> He's just pulling me towards him. He kind of doesn't care how I arrive, as long as, as long as you as, do, as long as I do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And he was just cool, you know? Yeah, the way he, like the way he sat on yeah, a chair I was just backwards. Say, yeah. Mm -hmm. Nobody sits in a chair like Riker sits in a chair. Yeah, and I wonder, I do wonder if a younger me wasn't like, I want to be cool like that. I mean, I will say that I think you have a certain Riker energy about you. Which makes sense because he very much was, I think, meant to be, uh, there was supposed to be something vaguely Kirkish about Riker. Like, he was supposed to give mm -hmm. people that vibe. Whereas sure. um, Jean-Luc did not, he did not have that swagger. No, Jean-Luc didn't swagger. Mm -hmm. Was noble and dignified. Mm-hmm. Which I also enjoyed. Yes, principled. Lawyer mm -hmm. Picard is how our producer often likes to refer to him. Mm. Oh. Uh, oh, God, what is that episode? With Worf. Uh, no, no, the one where, um, a case... Measure of a man. Measure of a man! Mm-hmm. And it is, I think it's our first introduction to Bruce Maddox, who 
I mean, it's not spoiler anymore, folks. This has been on and available for decades. Um, but mm-hmm. he's a real jerk in Measure of a Man. Bruce Maddox. Oh my God, that's Bruce Maddox? N- yeah. Not a good fella. Oh my God. Yeah, because... I, I so did not put that together. Oh uh, no, that's Bruce. And I don't... I don't have a lot of criticisms of the show. I definitely had some like mm-hmm. disappointments, as I know you're aware of how it was sort of like attempted to wrap up its finale. But early on, one of my question marks that very much is still there is that like, I didn't feel like the show explained how we got from measure of a man, Bruce Maddox, who's like data is a machine and not a person and not important. Mm-hmm. And I should just be able to take him apart and learn from him. Um, even though I can't guarantee I can put him back together to Bruce Maddox of the show, who's like a third father to the synthetic beings. Well, if if you remember the end of Measure of a Man, which I have watched mm-hmm. in in the recent past, mm-hmm. um, because I wrote a yoga quest <laughs> for Measure of a Man. That's beautiful. It's a, it's a great. One to- well, then I agree with you. That the Bruce Maddox <laughs> plotline was not well enough developed. No. No. Unless he reappears later in the show and suddenly has a... Maybe. Has a change of heart that we don't remember. Maybe there was a, a second golem, a progenitor of the first. <laughs> um, can I just say that I loved that this was a golem? I thought you might. <laughs> I thought you might. When the golem was first introduced, um, our producer heaved a deep sigh. And I, I, I like to think it's at that point that he started to prepare himself for the inevitable, which is that Picard mm-hmm. was going to somehow become a Picard golem, but not in like mm-hmm. a supernatural creepy way, more like in a fun, reaffirming Beetlejuice kind of way. Mm. No, I lost it at the end there. Yeah, yeah, you were on to something. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pause us because we're kind of all over town, which makes sense mm-hmm. because th- this was like a smorgasbord of feelings. Yes. Um, and so we're kind of all over the place about it. Sure. Yes. Um, I figured we'd bring it back to self and like. They like that was this very long way of bringing it back to what self understanding, growth, the many selves that we have. We could go IFSE with it if we want to. We don't have to. I don't. I don't know if this feels very IFSE to me because yeah. Picard Picard is so. And if if you're new to the show, IFS is something called internal family systems, mm-hmm. and it's about the different parts of ourselves and how different parts feel different ways. And that there's one unified – well, it's not unified, but that there's there's the self and then there's the parts, and mm-hmm. the self ought to be the leader of the parts. Right. But to my mind – and you can tell me if you feel differently – to my mind, Picard isn't very party. No, no, I would agree. He's very uh, self-y. Like, he, mm-hmm. he's, he's pretty integrated. He knows what he's about. Um, 
I think maybe he was more part E in maybe the first couple seasons of uh, Next Gen TNG. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Like, he seems he seems very solid, very integrated. And honestly, more than anything else, that might have been why, as a Spockling, I was so drawn to him. Because um, without getting, like, too into the, the, the weeds on this one, I grew up with a lot of adults that were – there were so many parts happening for them. Mm-hmm. A lot of parts that were happening. Um, and what I really loved about Captain Picard is that he was so in alignment. Yeah. And when I say in alignment, sure, I mean like the yoga idea, like mind, body, soul. We could go the chakra route too, though I don't typically roll that way. But more than anything, <laughs> what I mean is that like his his values and his decisions and his uh his like logical precepts they were all they were all in alignment they all were in accord mhm and he almost always knew how to move from a place of strength yeah so so that's interesting mm-hmm. so what what we're actually saying is not that he, i i take back what i said earlier about him not being party i figured you would i was like there's no way that we're going to commit to this for the next <laughs> half hour (laughs) (laughs) what i will say is that he has a very strong sense of self yes and that self is managing or conducting the parts yes and i think you see that really beautifully at in the way in his relationship with elnor right because he's his Mm -hmm. most uncertain with elnor both when elnor is shown as a child in like the flashback and in with more like grown-up elnor um, even though mm-hmm. Elnor clearly, even as an adult, like he's he's very childlike in his portrayal, which I, I really loved. Yep. Actually, there was something yeah. that was really sweet and endearing, and in in a Baby Yoda kind of way, frankly, about Elnor. Oh, it was it was Baby Yoda like, and you could see the way that like Picard did. He cared so much for Elnor when Elnor was physically like a young child, and yet you could also see like that there were moments of real hesitation. Hmm. And, um, and like a kind of awkwardness that he just like, didn't, he didn't quite always know kind of what to lead from and what to do. Right. Well, he, he really, yeah, I'm I'm taking it all back. There are parts here. (laughs) Yeah. It's not that I thought a person could be unparted, uh, but I just didn't think there were, there was enough to pull apart, but there clearly is. Um, because Picard really... There's a there's a part of him that bonds with with Elnor, and there's a part of him that is all business. Yeah, and that's well said. There, the twain shall meet. So, if he needs to go do something business, like mm-hmm. he's just like goodbye, Elnor. I will see you later. And Elnor is so shattered. And then when he comes back, mm-hmm. and Elnor's an adult, like all Elnor wants for Picard to do is to be like, "Hey, I need you. Mm-hmm. I need you." I, let me like verbally recognize and name the important emotional bonds that we have. And Picard doesn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And what that reminds me of is something that he says in one of the early eps two of the show where um, his two, his two Romulan friends, what are their names? I'm so terrible with names. I don't remember the Romulans names either. Mr. and Mrs. Ron <laughs> who live with him. <laughs> um, but it's Laris and Saban, right? And I, I think that he he says to them, because they're like, well, you need a crew. How are you going to 
make this journey. Um, and they're like, you'll, you'll basically, they're like, you're going to get the band back together. Right. So you're going to call Riker. You're going to call Troy. They don't say Jordy. I don't know why, but they certainly should have. And he's like, no, yeah, no. Right. I, Where was LeVar? Right. And he's like, no, no, I can't <laughs> do that. Because they'd say yes mm-hmm. in a heartbeat. And I, I don't want to put them through that. So there he's revealing something that I think comes up with him and Eleanor too, that he feels uncomfortable using like, or maybe it's not that he's uncomfortable, but he's very careful with the emotional connection because he mm-hmm. doesn't want to exploit it right. and overstep a boundary. But in his, mm-hmm. his eagerness to not overstep a boundary, I think sometimes what, what I think the result is he comes across as withholding sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right, which, how do we think that that part got formed? What happened in, in the early life of Jean-Luc that he formed a part that was like, oh, get close, but not too close? I mean, I suppose what comes up for me is that I think that sometimes that can happen when you have experiences during your formative years, so either childhood or teenage years, where um, your boundaries were not respected. Mm. So it's either that it was modeled for him that like this is just how you this is just how you do. I don't know, maybe mm-hmm. he spent some time um summering in Vulcan as a teen, did a foreign exchange <laughs> program if you will, and really took that to heart in a way. Um mm-hmm. or it would be the or it was or maybe it was the reverse where he he had his own boundaries violated by someone who he was like emotionally intimate with. Sure. I was just reminded, full disclosure, by a producer, not by my own memory, um, of the episode <laughs> with the Nausicans, where apparently in TNG, Picard reflects on his his errant youth. He was a bit more uh, arrogant and prone to the wild passions of... of parts? Youthhood. <laughs> <laughs> Passion parts. Uh, I wasn't going to go there, but that's because I knew you would. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag passion heart. And then he gets he gets stabbed in the heart, and that's very much like a... It's a pivotal moment for him. It's a turning point. But I don't know if that explains what we're talking about here, though. Um, yeah. I don't, it, it, trauma can absolutely bring about parts. Mm-hmm. But I, was he close to the person who stabbed him? That I don't recall. Like a... Like emotionally, emotionally close. We just don't know. <laughs> we are gonna get. You know what? Our social media has been so quiet; it's about to explode. God, I hope so. I want some people on there telling me important facts about TNG. <laughs> Cannon, Fanon, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. Please come, come hit us come up. Come on over to, mm-hmm. to our social media and tell us what we fucked up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> We actually, we welcome it. Mm-hmm. He very much gets a chance. I don't know if he really gets a chance with Elnor, and maybe this is something that they're going to explore in season two, to have a, like a reparative exchange with mm-hmm. Elnor. Um, it is interesting, yeah. though, that like Elnor shifts his loyalty, right? Because he stays mm-hmm. with Hugh on the board cube. And then... Mm-hmm. When Hugh very tragically dies, poor one out for Hugh. God, he had a tough life. Yes, he did. He really did. Nothing worked out Nothing for Hugh. Nothing worked out for Hugh. You know, it really would have been nice if, like, he and 
But then LeVar would have had to be involved if, like, Hugh and Jordy had had, like, a reconnective moment. Oh, that's nice. Like, just as an aside, I do think in many ways the show did a great job of, like, it clearly felt like it was written by people who loved these characters and loved Mm -hmm. the show and were steeped in the lore and, like, they understood how to write these characters. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you and I definitely have our differences in terms of how we feel J.J. Abrams did with the Star Wars franchise, but mm-hmm. like JJ didn't he I'm not going to like get into a debate on like the JJ Abrams Star Trek but what I will say is like the feel of those movies they felt very different from the show mm-hmm. um whereas in this in the show you could I, you could like feel the love you could feel the fan love and it it felt mm-hmm. like a beautifully informed almost like fan fiction but given a budget yeah. Well, it it had it had the details. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's what we can agree on with with JJ's portrayal is that it it misses nuance. Mm-hmm. Like with with Picard, we had all the nuance. Like of course Picard would have his own winery. Of course he would do that when he was done. And of course he would call it Chateau Picard and you know all the little things in his study and like just all all those little things all those little parts that make human beings interesting like the the jj abrams portrayal is much more sterile like we we don't get as much of those little nuggets yeah i would i'd go with that it it treats it treats the characters more like not so much archetypes but more but but more more like tropes maybe Mm. um and is in, they feel like less less detailed and more kind of symbolic, whereas in Picard, one of its real strengths is that you do you're right like you get the nuances, you get the character details, and and when you when like you see Deanna and Riker together, like the life they're living and what they've done and how they've raised their children and like the way that their daughter is like it all it makes mm-hmm. sense it fits for them because clearly the writers understood these characters. Yeah, and understood oh. where they would grow. I I just I could not even with with Riker and Deanna. That was uh like I knew it was going to happen because I got spoiled. Oh. Um, but I was I didn't even care that I got spoiled. I was like, oh my god, it's happening! <laughs> it was beautiful, and I felt like finally they gave Marina Sirtis like great. Truly great writing that understood Troy and what it would be like to have that kind of empathic ability. I feel like she finally mm-hmm. got, she got to like actualize that in ways that were so beautiful. Like that scene where you watch her when she's mm. reacting to Picard when he doesn't say anything and you see mm-hmm. all the emotions that she's seeing from him and then she mirrors them back. Especially now mm. as a therapist watching that, that's exactly oh, what God. we do in therapy mm-hmm. as therapists. When we have someone who's having a hard time being with their feelings, and in that moment, Picard's having a hard time being with his feelings, and he's having a hard time naming them. Our role then is to mirror them back on our own face. Mm-hmm. Oh, and she does it so beautifully. Yeah, it, that, was, that was just incredible. It was. Because they're saying so much without saying anything. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, obviously is a testament to how great these actors are. Yes, absolutely. But also the material, because they could have been given a bunch of lines to read mm-hmm. that we didn't fucking need. 
Sure, but it was all so good. And we'll come mm-hmm. back to them, but I do want to kind of like complete the... I was going to say like complete the circle, but maybe square is more appropriate because it's the Borg. Because what happens to <laughs> Elmer is like he really... He really he starts to align with uh, Seven of Nine. Yeah, who? Because who wouldn't? Well, Damn. Well, yeah, and she does a great job of really channeling the Jungian mother archetype. Mm. Both in like there's like real like there's real tenderness and sweetness from her, but there's also just like mm-hmm. so much ferocity, right? Hmm. And when she plugs into the Borg, oh, damn! That was I know. that was a great scene. Yeah, she she was excellent in this. She was. If anything, I wanted more of her, but maybe that's for the best because I think sometimes it's good as a as a viewer to want more. Hmm. Did I really need more? Maybe in the finale. <laughs> maybe just maybe just a little bit more maybe just a little bit more yeah I, I i did enjoy seeing seeing elnor's progression mm-hmm. because he it, i mean this is the first time ever other than when he was a child and has no memory of it that he's been able to see the outside world that's a great point and so his you know he is still holding fast to what he learned from the truth nuns oh uh, <laughs> <laughs> who came out of uh the 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 candor faction in divergent uh <laughs> they also remind me of uh the elcor that you have in your office dude every Mass time Effect. they said elnor i was like elcor <laughs> it was close enough that it made like i really wondered like the person who came up with that character and named him are they a fan of mass effect because it's just so similar right um, for those of you who don't know, Mass Effect is a phenomenal video game series. Mass Effect Andromeda had its problems. Mass Effect 1 also had some problems. 2 through 3, though, are great. <laughs> Highly recommend those. And the Elcor are an alien race in the Mass Effect video game that is very much it's an intergalactic game. I'm not going to do a plot summary, but I will say that the Elcor, <laughs> they're an alien race, and they are not able to visually or verbally express emotion via facial expression or intonation. So they, as a, as probably as a, like a social way that for accounting for that lack, they lead with the feeling and then say whatever they're going to say. Yeah, which is beautiful. And I do, I, I have a little plush Elcor in my office that you gave me. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you squeeze it, it's very hard to hear him, but he, he'll say like, genuine feeling, I love you, (laughs) or like, actual excitement, I'm glad you're here. (laughs) And I, I mean, the Elcor has been great for using with clients to talk about how to over express, Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, over verbalize. Yes. (laughs) But it the the truth nuns do have a little bit of that. They do because they can't. They only tell the truth. They choose to only mm-hmm. tell the truth. They think that by really sitting with the uncomfortable and unpleasant aspect of truth, it's how we we grow. Mm-hmm. Why not start right now? <laughs> <laughs> Growing begins now. Yes. Uh- they're very, in some ways, they're prone to extremes, both the Romulans and the Vulcans, right? Because historically, mm-hmm. 
they they both they're they're like of the same and then they went off in separate directions and where the Vulcans were like we're gonna cope with feelings by just being really logical um mm-hmm. the Romulans were like what if we just really feel <laughs> and that plays out in different ways and they're different subcultures one of which is the truth nuns they're like what if we just told the truth always <laughs> Like, oh, okay. Which is is a form of a phenomenon called spotlighting, where we are not cognizant of boundaries and just tell people shit that we have not built the kind of relationship to share. Mm. I have to be honest, I was not familiar with that term. Yeah. Um, so yeah, have you ever, and I know the answer is yes, had a client who said, well, I just tell people absolutely everything about myself as soon as I meet them Mm -hmm. so that I'll know whether or not they can handle my shit. Yes. And of course they can't because the person, the other person can't handle it because they haven't built a container to hold it. Mm -hmm. Right. They just met. Right. Um, that's spotlighting and it's, it's a, People think it's positive because they're like, well, I'm, I'm letting this person know everything about me. I'm being truthful. But truly, you're pushing them away mm-hmm. because if you haven't gone up the trust staircase with someone, you, you're not – you don't have the ability to hold that kind of information. Have you ever defined this trust staircase on here, Captain? So when I talk about trust with clients, I, I use a staircase to describe it. So the the way that we build trust is over time making mild disclosures and then greater and greater and greater disclosures and having the other person be able to handle it. As well as we say we're going to do something and then we do it. We we make commitments and we follow through. Mm-hmm. This is how we build trust, right? So when we meet someone new, I picture that both parties are at the bottom of a staircase. And each time we make a mild disclosure and it is accepted, we both move up a step. Or if one of us makes a commitment and we follow through without being reminded to follow through, we move up a step. Mm. So if I say, um, Spock, I am going to call you tomorrow at 7 p.m. And I do not do that. Mm. Uh, I mean, you and I have enough of a solid container that we're not going to move down a step. No. Like, it's it's going to be like, where the fuck were you? Um, right. Are you but, okay? Are you in a ditch you, somewhere? Yeah. Because spoilers, whenever someone doesn't, sh- if they're not the place that I expect them to be and that I have every reason to think that they should be based on our longstanding relationship, immediately my mind goes to, they're in a ditch somewhere. <laughs> how i come up with this who knows it's not like vulcan has a ton of ditches and i now live in chicago not a lot of ditches here either there it is yeah where where would i be where is this ditch um but if this was someone i had just met and i said i'll call you tomorrow at seven like we we may be staying at the bottom of the staircase we might not be moving mm-hmm um, or if we had already moved up a couple steps, like maybe we had hung out a couple times, then I don't make the phone call. We might move down a step. Yeah. Um, and how I describe this to clients is we, we keep moving up this up and down the steps kind of naturally, mm. right? Like there, there's kind of a natural ebb and flow. 
Um, but what we don't want is to have such a break of trust that we wind up on our asses at the bottom of the stairs. Sure. And that's when there would be um, what we in the biz call an attachment injury. That's that's when we're on our ass at the bottom of the stairs. Yeah. This is what happened to Rios. Right? Our captain. Yes. Like, whether he's mm-hmm. sort of unclear who's going to be the captain in season two. They can sort that through, though. Well, think of who pa- Captain Picard is in his world. Like... He's he's a divisive dude. Like it's and he's all Starfleet. Lame. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think Rios thinks that though. Like I, I think like he he like that's part of what makes Picard attractive to him. Mm. He cause he wants so much. Because he was a believer once. Um I love Rios. He's a delight. He is the eye candy of the show, and I do give the show props for not going the typical route, which is to make um, one of the characters who presents and identifies as a woman the eye candy. And speaking of parts, he he chose his own oh, wow. image for all of the hollows. <laughs> I didn't even think of that, but Rios, and especially, what is it? I think it's the, is it the eighth episode? That Rafi, like, engages with all the different holographic parts. And she's like, if we put you all together, we'll find out what happened. Oh, my God. It was parts work. It was totally parts work. Like, I just kept thinking of you. And I was like, oh, my God, Justine is going to love this. And you know what? I didn't even put it together as I was watching it. I was just like, this is good. Because I was so immersed, I wasn't even thinking. That's fair. That's totally fair. It definitely, though, mm-hmm. like, it, that was the kind of scene where, and I, because I always imagine you and I one day co-teaching a class, and, like, part of the class mm-hmm. would be, like, go home and watch certain things, because duh. And, like, that would be an episode <laughs> that we would assign to mm. our students when we were studying IFS, because it's such a great example. Oh, <laughs> chef's kiss. <laughs> Mwah. It's beautiful. It is. It's so beautiful. God, who wouldn't want to take our class? Why wouldn't you? Even if you're not <laughs> studying to be a marriage and family therapist, you, why wouldn't you want to take it? We're a, we're a delight. We'd be a delight in person. <laughs> Though, Maybe if I'm, if if I'm being honest, I would probably assign a lot of um, reading that I could see the class finding less interesting. Um, like rather than assigning like a couple journal articles that like described say i don't know bowenian family therapy i would like assign Mm -hmm. a couple chapters out of the only tome that bowen wrote which i can only imagine is just so so dry and yes i'm definitely ordering it it's in my thriftbooks.com cart (laughs) as we speak hmm come Come for me. <laughs> Stay for the dull reading. <laughs> but circling back around. Circling back around. Well, we could go a couple of places here. Um, mm-hmm. We could spend more time with the Rikers. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, love them. Um, we could talk more. The Riker Troys, the Troy Rikers? The Troy Rikers. The Riker. I don't know which way it goes. The Troy Rikers. Mm-hmm. Maybe let's spend some time on the Troy Rikers and then we can just like gently 
just sort of move in a very organic fashion to, you know, the the finale and like the ways that I, it kind of makes good on certain things like Picard working through his um, parental anxiety and awkwardness mm-hmm. and the things that it kind of leaves and doesn't do much with like the Borg cube. And Seven is the greatest Borg mama ever. <laughs> Mother of Cube. I, as a brief aside, mm-hmm. fucking loved it. Every, whenever uh, Jean-Luc was on the artifact and people were like, look who just... <laughs> was so... And he did... And like this is this like shows what a great actor like Sir Patrick Stewart is, as if we needed more examples. But like you see him kind of wince mm-hmm. when they call him that, but also <laughs> be like oddly like touched by it and then also mm-hmm. transition immediately into wanting to be kind to whoever is calling him that. Mm-hmm. Because it's clear yeah. that these what are we, what were they called? The B90 not the B96s. <laughs> it's not the B92s either. It's nope. it's the XBs. The XBs. Wow. Me and names, man. It's tough. <laughs> um but like clearly the XBs are having like they have a fandom attachment to Lucidus. Mm-hmm. Like, this is them. They've had a parasocial relationship with this person. Mm-hmm. And now they're engaging with him live and in person. And it's just, it's so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I love, it happened twice that I noticed. And I just, I loved it both times. Yeah, it was really sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Uh, but <sighs> the, the, the Troy Rikers... Oh, oh my God! Such, such great development of what these humans' personalities would look like after mm-hmm. time. Yeah, I yeah. I I don't know what else to say about it except that I I loved every moment of it. Well, I'll say two things. The first is that one of the mm-hmm. things I've been thinking about for a a little while now. Hmm. Well, it's probably been, it's at least been a couple of years Um, because it didn't occur to me at the time as a child, because I was a child, I knew so very little, Um, but Mm -hmm. Counselor Troy is both the ship's counselor and a crew member. And for those of you who maybe are listening to this and you're not therapists and you don't know any therapists other than perhaps your own, one of the big no-nos as a therapist is this Mm -hmm. idea of dual roles. And if you have a dual role, you must be very careful. So let me give you an example of a dual role. That would be like, um, if I am both, it would, I suppose in its most extreme form would be as if like, if I was your therapist, Justine, while also Mm -hmm. being your best friend and co-writer and co-host of a podcast. Yeah, that's, that'd be a real problem. That'd be a real problem. Because then it's not just dual roles, it's multiple roles. Mm-hmm. And they interact, and they can potentially conflict. Mm-hmm. And one of the, I mean, one of the oldest tenants for uh, all manner of psychotherapists, so marriage and family therapists, psychologists, um, clinical social workers, is that the therapeutic relationship comes first. It takes precedence. It's heavily boundaried. It is an intimate relationship, but very much 
predominantly one way. Mm-hmm. And it is, it, it's not, you cannot be a someone's therapist and be their friend or family member. No, that's, that's, that's a big no, no. It's a big no. And yet counselor Troy is right. Mm, Like she's, she's friends with some of the people that she counsels. Um, She's certainly crewmates with people she counsels, right? Like she sees them sure in in like public, like 10 forward, Mm -hmm. but she also interacts with people that she's working with. And so again, like as an adult, I'm like, wow, how did, how did they do that? My hunch is that when they came up with her, that Gene Roddenberry probably was, I mean, maybe he was super, he like understood like clinical psychotherapy and dual roles, but my hunch is no. no. And, and then he hadn't like, say, perused the MFT ethics or the APA ethics. <laughs> um, and so like the way that I've sort of thought of it is that like, well, maybe at that point humans were evolved enough hmm. that much in the same way that at that point they don't need money. Mm-hmm. There's also an understanding that we can have these different kinds of relationships. And if we are both aware of the boundaries and understand that, like, I'm taking off my therapist hat and putting on my friend hat and going to your child's bat mitzvah, um, <laughs> there would be a way to do that. Right. Um, TNG, the, like, it, it, during its original run, it doesn't explore how in the word Counselor Troy does that. It's just like a given, right? Just like it doesn't mm-hmm. really explain, like, how is it that, that Earth doesn't need a, any type of economy in the way that we understand it? It doesn't matter. They've just, they're beyond it. It's utopia, right? Mm-hmm. But in the scene that Counselor Troy has with Soji, I thought they did a really good job of showing the ways that she was kind of engaging more of that counselor vibe and talking with Soji about her feelings and what it was like for Soji to really doubt herself and her reality. Mm-hmm. But then Troy did it in a way that was very much checking for consent throughout that conversation mm. and really naming, calling attention to and modeling boundaries. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, I I had never really thought about that about about the dual roles thing um there are people who have not exactly that but similar to the, i mean there are companies that have an on-staff counselor like that's a real thing but my their boundaries are still quite solid like i don't think they would that that on-staff counselor is going to the to the happy hour after work right <laughs> which is kind of sad to be part of a team and not part of a team. Yeah. Um, but I I like this vision of the future where this is possible. I don't n- know how I w- would do with it. I mean, clearly we're not there as a society. Right. Um, <laughs> but it, it did spark another question for me, mm. which is why is there money in Picard? Like, I mean, not exactly money, but there's, like, they're, they're bartering. Like, Rios is, like, how are you paying to get here? Like, wh- mm. they do have some kind of huh. currency and bartering. I have to say that I didn't, um, that, that is not one of the things that I picked up on. It's funny the things you noticed and the things I noticed. I was like, why do they have... Why are they bartering? Yeah. 
Huh. Like, did we... That is interesting. Did we come back, did we come back up with money after shit hit the fan with the Romulans? Like, what? I don't know. That's a good question. Mm -hmm. Season two, maybe? Probably not. It's probably <laughs> not going to be answered in season two. It's definitely the, like, I'm going to pay attention to that on the rewatch. Fans of the pod, we'll circle back to this in <laughs> a year, maybe. Or more, depending how things go globally. And internationally. <laughs> Etc. 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 Getting off those those like those more present based topics. Um, ooh, Will Riker. Before we transition, mm -hmm. he has. I think it's when he's outside. He's making pizzas, putting them in the brick oven. Again, loved that touch. Loved that there was Papa Will Riker making some pizzas. Um, <laughs> and there's this exchange just back and forth between will and picard where like you see that also in addition to the some anxiety about like close personal relationships and children and how those two things fit together there's also some anxiety and hesitancy in picard that he like he clearly came to troy and Riker for help mm -hmm. and by doing so he put them in danger right and it makes him so uncomfortable mm -hmm. to be with that and Riker has this beautiful way of both naming that, like, yeah, you you did that, like, and we're happy to help you. We love you. Mm-hmm. And you did put us in danger, and so you you need to, that part of what that means is, like, now you need to tell us what's going on. Right. Yeah. That. Which is such a great dad thing. That's interesting that, yeah, that in that moment, like, Riker was kind of, mm -hmm. he was kind of being Picard's dad. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Picard's never really been a, a proper father to anyone. Mm hmm And Riker has. Yeah. And, and so Riker has had to talk about duality and what it means mm -hmm. to accept both and instead of either or. Sure. And um, that, and that he yeah. also, like, it's. He's not Picard's first officer anymore. Picard mm. doesn't get to say to him, like, just trust me. Because that's not, that's not their relationship anymore. It was never just their relationship, mm -hmm. but it's definitely not a component of their present relationship. Like, they are mm -hmm. very much peers. They're equals. They're colleagues. And Riker can't, he can't afford to take things just on faith. He needs to know more of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it makes me think of mentorships. Mm. Like as as we sure as therapists get mentored mm. and then we mentor others and then sometimes we see our mentors do, doing different stuff. Yep, we sure do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and our relationship to them changes. Mhm. Mm because we're not their mentee anymore. Right. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, we're, I was going to say we're running short on time, but like, it's a podcast. We could talk for as long as we want, but our, my instrument is getting tired. That's true. So, so before I run out of oxygen, we need to talk about Soji and Daj. Oh yeah. What would you like to say about Soji and Daj? <laughs> There's so much. And that of course, and of course, data yeah uh-huh so let's spend some time 
with artificial life. Right out of the gate, what I'll say, because I think there we've been like naturally moving towards this, definitely in his relationship mm-hmm. to Sochi, Picard seems like he he actualizes his learning mm-hmm. via his experiences on the Enterprise, um, with Elnor, with you know, going back to see the the Troy Rikers, the Riker Troys. Hell, it's mm-hmm. both. Um and you see him like actualize learning about parental roles, learning about intimate relationships. And like, he really does like he and Soji form a family unit. Mm. And there's that great foreshadowing to it with Riker and, and Troy's kid. When she looks at Soji and she's like, you know, but like you could have Picard, like you could belong to each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, insightful child. I wonder if she has a little bit of the empath in her. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And that too, like, they sh- they have such a deft touch. Like, it shows that probably she does, but mm-hmm. they don't overdo it. Right. She's not, like, putting her hands to her forehead and like, I see your feelings. <sighs> it's not, say, like, Jean Grey in the 1990s X-Men cartoon where not only does she have, like, a third eye pendant in her headband and every time she's doing something she holds this, but also she lets out this, like, <laughs> orgasmic scream whenever she feels or senses <laughs> someone's thought. She goes, ah! But it's more <laughs> orgasmic, I promise. It's really weird to go back and rewatch. If you haven't and you have Disney+, Plus. Check it out. You'll see right away what I'm talking about. If you have extra time on your hands right now. And, you know, some of us do. And some of us don't. (laughs) Some of us don't. (laughs) Uh, I I was so interested in in Soji and Daj. Mm -hmm. I liked... um, You know what? I wasn't super interested. Well, I was waiting for something to come, and nothing came. No. So you mean like in the show or in your in your thoughts right now? In my thoughts right now. Well, let me just say that like I, I thought they were going somewhere different than they ended up going with. Can you say more with Soji and Dodge and Data and the Borg? Right, like they were they were very much. And it's interesting we brought up Mass Mass Effect now, probably at this point thirty minutes ago, um, but. For those of you who know Mass Effect, the one of the crux of those three games really is the central tension between organic and inorganic life. So mm. AIs versus more of the, like the humanoids. And not to be too spoilery, but like the final question, not the final solution. This is not World War II, nor is it a World War II inspired <laughs> game. Um, but like one of the final questions in Mass Effect 3 is can organic and inorganic life coexist? Or is it inevitable that one will attempt to control the other? Hmm. And in and in so doing destroy them. And I thought that like especially once they and the Borg is there pretty much from the word go once when they have that and they're talking about these different ways that organic and inorganic can be together. And then they, and then you find out that there's this like ancient civilization of inorganic life forms that created this whole planet and this beacon so that if inorganics needed help, they could call upon them. 
And so like, I was assuming that like, we would, we would interact with these beings at some point and that there would then mm-hmm. be a connection drawn very directly between androids and the Borg. Uh, and that like, because otherwise, why do we have the Borg here? Because otherwise, why do we have the Borg here? Like they're fun and they're cool. And I definitely loved uh, Borg Mama seven of nine. I was all about mm-hmm. that. It was a great, you know, new, new take on an old, an old mother archetype. But I, I, yeah, I thought we were building towards that. I thought we were building towards like, I, it did, I didn't need to be like a battle royale, but some kind of confrontation, whether it was intellectual mm-hmm. or emotional or like an aggressive battle. I thought we were going to like get that. And we never did. And we also never like, it, especially in the first half, there's a lot is made that like Soji and Daj are, are Data's daughters, basically. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Data so wanted to be a parent, and he was so oh, God. he was so sad when he lost Lol, and mm. they don't do much with that either. In the end, like mm-hmm. it's kind of a thread that's that's dropped, yeah. and then like Picard takes over as the the paterfamilias, <laughs> which is okay, my favorite word, right? Which is okay, but I guess I wanted more of like a baton pass mm. like i i wanted mm-hmm. data to be more involved somehow and i really didn't yeah. love how involved bruce maddox was and while it was sort of fun that there was this like thrown in uh brother brothers soon at the end like that was mm-hmm. like i get it he's sort of data but not <laughs> it didn't come together for me and maybe it's just me yeah. but it just didn't quite come together yeah i <clears throat> I had such an emotional reaction to the finale that I was not in a place to, like, do the critical thinking about it. Um, as, oh. as, and, and I'm more in a place for it now. So we're okay. Okay, okay. Um, great. I do want to hit yeah. pause and say that, like, I think it's, it's, very, it's very Vulcan of me that, like, as soon as I had the big emotional reaction to the finale, I was like, well, let's analyze this. That's how we'll cope. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> And I just got full on Kirk and just was weeping. Just weeping. It was... I think it would have been hard at any time to see the deaths of two who I think for both of us were such like cornerstones mm-hmm. in our fandoms, both yeah. as in our youth and presently in our adulthood. Mm-hmm. But like, it was just really hard right now with everything that's going on in the oh, world. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I didn't need that. Mm-mm. No, I definitely didn't need it. Um, and it was... And it was so... So harsh. I mean, it yes. like it was beautiful, and that's what was so painful about it, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah i I also would have liked to see more data than than him just kind of showing up and being like, "I'm ready to end my life," the good place style. Yeah, like I loved the bits of data that we got. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, it it was it was strange that he he has these children, but he has no contact with them. Like there's no there's no moment where Data gets to meet, finally meet his children. Yeah, which is painful. Yes, like like I know they're made out of you, like like the monks made mm-hmm. a little sister out of Buffy. <laughs> They sure did. (laughs) 
And that, in, in, in a very similar way, that's so confusing for Dawn. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, like, you, you, you have a, uh, Soji and Dodge, you have a father. Um, it's not Bruce Maddox. Mm-mm. Like, you, you are, you are made from Data. Data is your progenitor. And like apparently he he lives in the, in that piece of machinery there. Uh huh. Like, that had real sort of like um, two thousand and one space odyssey vibes. That I, I I didn't know what to do with that imagery either. That was thrown in. I was like, how am I supposed to feel about? Right, and they unplug L. him like like with three flash drives. Like, I- <laughs> it was so uncomfortable. <laughs> and also sad and also uncomfortable mm-hmm. and like w- they just had him floating around in there and, and at no point did anyone did any of the andrews be like hey uh we have this golem lying around here right and this, we have our dad <laughs> and and this this yeah like, just yeah yeah. And like I don't know, maybe we... maybe it should have been something where like that's what they're gonna do. They've been building mm-hmm. this thing not for brother number three Sung over here, but that like they've been building it for data. That all that they mm-hmm. want, that's what they've been calling that's their combination is to get data back. And that maybe something goes wrong. And then data has a moment with his with Soji, with his children, with at least at least mm-hmm. Soji man. And that because of something that goes on then he can't go into the golem. Mm. And then maybe then Picard goes into the golem. I think I would have been so much more okay with that. Yeah, agreed. I I mean it it, it telegraphed so hard the minute we met the golem. Sorry, the golem. Golem lives in a cave. Uh <laughs> <laughs> he sure does. The, the golem is a <laughs> is subtle ma- is but made important. of mud mm-hmm. subtle but important uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah it just it, it was too much loss for me and everybody was sad and of course like of course they were yeah but like i i couldn't i in this time in our world mm-hmm. i could not tolerate that loss no and it was so movingly done when the way when you think spoil major spoilers ahead, folks. Just, I mean, they've already they've already been. happened. But like, if for some reason you were like, it's fine, I'm just gonna listen and and it's all good. But here's like, this is a the most major of major. So like, Picard, the way that they have him die and then they ha- they resuscitate <gasps> him via the the golem. Mm-hmm. They make good on his death my friend like everybody has Oof. a reaction it feels very visceral and frankly emotionally mm-hmm. i could not go from that to and now he's now he's here here he is now he's, now he's fine now he's, he's got a cool new leather jacket yeah let's go if, if anything i <laughs> felt like it, it was such a sharp transition that i emotionally experienced as shock and i i i rejected something and i wasn't sure which what to reject do i reject mm-hmm. the death do i reject him being alive i certainly reject this experience <laughs> that i just had because you know for many of us 
like myself included, like this was like watching a parent die. Right. And because Sir Patrick Stewart is so fucking talented. Yes. Like have having witnessed both. Well, I wasn't there for mom, but I was there for the aftermath. You were. Um, And I was there for dad. And that's. That was the closest I've seen to somebody really hitting it on the head what it looks like. It was just to give a counterexample, friends, if you've seen Baz Luhrmann's Romeo plus Juliet, the way that Leonardo does the death scene, it's the opposite of that. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, there's something to be said for bad death scenes yeah because we you know what we don't want things to be too realistic it hurts yeah or rather like you need to be very careful as a as a showrunner mm-hmm. as a creative team mm-hmm. yes fair if you're gonna really go as as realistic as you can it, it just you have to be so careful and let me be clear i'm not saying that like the creative team behind the card weren't careful i'm sure they thought about this a great deal Mm hmm. I am saying, though, that it was too much for me. Mm hmm. Yeah, it was too much for me right now. Mm hmm. And I'm I mean, who am I kidding? It probably would have been too much for me at any time. But I was already like, if you listened to our Mm. last app and I described what Stress Mountain looks like, Mm. like I was I was already up at the top. Yep. And then they were like, here's some death for you. And I'm like, oh, well, Uh I seem to be falling off a cliff now. Thank you. Yes. Well, and then because it's not it's bad enough what we go through emotionally with Picard's death and then rebirth in the matter of minutes. But then, yeah, they unplug the five red zip drives of data. (laughs) And then you got to watch that. And I'm like, I already saw him die in Star Trek Nemesis. And I didn't like that either. (laughs) <laughs> why what, what what is this right and then we've we've got the actress who plays soji singing blue skies and it's just so sad and he's in his smoking jacket drinking a bourbon which just getting old it was a alone s- alone alone <laughs> it was like this like sad shadow version callback to the way they depict data in um all good things to the finale of the original TNG show. Mm. And also, like, I didn't actually realize it was Soji who's singing. It, that's, it adds real emotional nuance knowing that, and I think that was a lovely touch. Mm-hmm. And also, she never meets Data. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, explain to me why this is meaningful to her. Like, show me why this means something to Soji. I know why it's meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. Because I have a strong connection with data, and you have a strong connection with data. Almost all the viewers have a strong connection with data. But Soji, in what you've shown so far, she d- you haven't given her that. Mm-hmm. And I don't want Soji to just be like an avatar for our feelings. I want I want to I want her to have her own. Mm-hmm. I want her to have her experience with her data dad. Yeah. And I wonder if that's part of my what my issue is because I did I liked 
the character. Mm-hmm. And I and I liked the Dodge character too. You did. But I just earlier when I tried to come up with something, I couldn't come up with something because I think there was a little bit of emptiness. Yeah. No, I agree. I I didn't feel like she got to be a full a fully fleshed out or artificially fleshed out. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, she didn't get to complete an arc. You know what it reminded me of, and I, I hope that hmm. this doesn't upset any folks who really love the, the Disney movie Moana. <laughs> I, I know you you got Oh friends. Friends at home, I wish you could have seen the captain's face because in no way, in no way was she <laughs> anticipating I was gonna whip that one out. But I did. No, no. Although, I mean, you 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 snapped a photo of the book you were reading that had Maui in it. It did. It did. Um, so I'm I'm currently making my way through Joseph Campbell's um, Masks of the Mask of the Gods, Masks of God. I, you, you'd mm-hmm. think I'd know the title, but there's lots of different versions of it. So whatever. I'm in volume one, um, <laughs> and I'm Snapchatting a lot of the the passages of note to the captain. Mm. And bless her, she's humoring me. Um, she doesn't <laughs> quite have the the taste for for dry, dry uh, fiction or nonfiction writing in the way that I do. But at any rate, my point is that when I saw the film Moana, I feel like Maui is a character, mm-hmm. right? So Maui's this demigod. If you haven't seen the film, Maui's a demigod. Moana is like the the lead role. Or she's the lead character, um, mm-hmm. a protagonist who both presents and identifies as a girl. So, like, everyone was like, yay, Disney. Look at that. Mm-hmm. What, a, what an active character. But the trouble is, is that she's not an emotionally nuanced character. Mm. She begins and ends the story pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Spunky, spirited, precocious. Cute. And I'm not mm-hmm. trying to be negative about, about Moana. Like, I think that, like, if they'd shown growth, there would, they, I mean, they really had something in terms of, like, a prototype, but they don't show her emotional reaction to struggle. Mm-hmm. In the way that, like, they show that with Maui, there's nuance with Maui, there's parts with Maui, mm-hmm. there's internal struggle. Mm-hmm. So they had a female lead, but they still gave the dude the better stuff. They did. They sure did. And I brought that up because it's no, like, in no way am I saying that they do that with Soji and Dodge. They don't. But in the same Mm -hmm. way that, like, it feels a little flat and a little empty, and it's because they're missing some of this emotional nuance with these these Mm -hmm. twins, a far more extreme example of that is Moana in the movie named Moana, even though it's really about... Maui's emotional growth and journey. <laughs> oh, wow. We're gonna, <laughs> I hope we get an assortment of comments on our social media. I sure, um, me too. <laughs> about all of the fandoms that people have feelings about. Uh, <laughs> and I would say as we're winding down... You know, for folks, for those of you who are consistent listeners of the pod, you will know that we usually try to end with some closing thoughts, some like gemstones, if you will, that you can kind of take with you into the rest of Mm -hmm. your day. 
It feels a little forced to try and do that here just because there's so much happening with Picard. Mm -hmm. At least that's kind of what I'm feeling right now. Um, I suppose the big takeaway that's coming up for me in going through the experience of watching the show and then sharing it with you both now and then in mm -hmm. our the ways we've shared it IRL is that fandom attachments, so the feelings that we have with fandom characters are so, so real. Mm-hmm. They are incredibly powerful. They are very nuanced. They impact both our emotional being and our physical being. And mm -hmm. never was that hit home more potently than in watching <laughs> this series, season one of the Picard series. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's what came up for me the most as well, is in, in this time... We need our fandom attachments so much because they can be with us in our home. We can, we can access them mm -hmm. um, during this time when a, we can't access a lot of other humans. Nope. Or friends or cyborgs. Or activities. Um, or activities. And, and we need those fandom attachments that help us feel help us feel you know and sometimes that feeling is going to be sad because that's i mean that's what life is sometimes it's sad and also if you feel like you're at the top of stress mountain and you just don't have it in you right now to watch beloved characters die because that grief is is just too close right now you don't have to you don't have to watch it right now Mm -mm. Nope. You know, there there are episodes of of shows that I skip on rewatches mm. because they're too hard. Like uh Bobby Singer on Supernatural. There there's yeah. an episode Oof. that I don't watch nope. on rewatches. Nope. Uh I have only ever seen Buffy the Body episode maybe once or twice. I've rewatched that series a dozen times you know because i just i i don't i don't need to see that mm -hmm. because the the power of our therapeutic fan fiction mm -hmm. is that those characters they as soon as they're out in the world they belong to us and we get to create our own stories and if in your story data is still around then data still around oh my god i'm gonna start crying again <laughs> i need to stop ending every podcast in tears <laughs> <laughs> to be fair i'm just really inspiring that's true <laughs> you truly are the most decorated captain <laughs> certainly the most eloquent Damn right. <laughs> uh, so what are, what are some of the concepts we talked about today? Oh, we talked about so much today, friends. Um, we talked a lot about internal family systems. I didn't know if we would when I kept it on or when I put it on here, but that was silly of me. That was silly that of was you. very silly. I mean, I didn't think I was going to talk about it either, but there it there is. There it is. 
Um, we talked about, we talked a little bit about the collective unconscious. Um, we talked about spotlighting and the trust staircase. We touched mm-hmm. a little bit on, uh, anger mountain, but really it can, it's just like intense, intense emotion mountain. Mm-hmm. So put intense emotion there. We talked about dual roles for those of you who are psychotherapists out there. And for those of you who aren't, but just wanted to know more, get a peek behind the curtain. Or if you didn't, you hit skip ahead. <laughs> yep, you were like, oh, God, not this again. <laughs> <laughs> skip ahead 30 seconds and it was over. Well, maybe a minute, mm-hmm. but who's counting? And then last but not least, we mentioned two of our favorite forebearers, Carl Jung <laughs> and Joseph Campbell. Ah, uh, yeah. And uh, you mentioned Murray Bowen. Oh, that's right. Murray. Mm-hmm. Mm. Murray. <laughs> um and we were mostly talking about star trek picard today but we did hit a couple other fandoms um of course we hit supernatural because like we almost got out of this episode without me mentioning supernatural but i got it in like Mm -hmm. with minutes to spare you did um which is surprising because there are golems in supernatural yes yes there is a golem Mm -hmm. uh my people and they're they're mud men. Uh, <laughs> you you mentioned Moana. I did. Um, <laughs> uh, Mass Effect video game. Oh yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, friends who listen all the way to the end, the captain is finally playing video games. Presently, <laughs> she's playing Night in the Woods. Mm-hmm. I am, and it's really fun. <laughs> Hooray! Yeah, apparently I like whatever kind of game this is, where you just like walk around and talk to people and find stuff. Um, BMO would call this conversation parade. Conversation parade. <laughs> um, my my partner was like, "Is this all you do? Go around and talk to people and find stuff?" He's like, "You're like wandering the earth, like David Carradine." And I was like, "Yeah, if David Carradine was a cat." <laughs> Which is just like the best synopsis for Night in the Woods ever. If that doesn't make you want to play this game, I can't help you. (laughs) We may be at the helm of this ship, but we know who really keeps us running. Thank you to Ensign Kyle Rebar, who composed our theme song. Thank you to Lieutenant Catherine Mandicat Duthie, who designed our beautiful cover art. And finally, thank you to our fabulous producer, Lieutenant Commander Brian Therens. You will always be our data. Join us for our next ep on Pandemic Panopticon. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And the very best way that you can support our podcast is to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to tell your friends. And as always, live live long and and prosper. prosper.